Friends, I am glad that you are here this morning, and I am hoping that we all are having that same experience that we want to see, that we want to see Christ in our lives. We want to see God move in miraculous ways. So as we enter into this time of worship, I would invite you to just join me in prayer. Awesome, God, we thank you for this place, this space where we can come and experience you. Most holy God, we ask that you would open our minds, our hearts, our very being to you this day as we seek to see you in our lives in a more full and rich way. God, be present in our worship, be present in this time. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray and all who agreed said. Today we're going to be looking at the heart of a miracle, and we're going to explore the story of this blind man named Bartimaeus and, and his story and his miracle and look at what lies at the heart of a miracle, from the personal experience to the corporate experience to the divine in a miracle. And I'm really excited as this leads up to our Miracle Sunday coming in two weeks. Would you join me for just a moment of prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, recently we had a traumatic experience in my household. Um, it was it was early, or actually it was late in the morning. We were rushing out of the house, pressed for time. The tension was already high, you know, as, as happens when when you're late for an important engagement. And I was barking orders at my kids, trying to, trying to herd them towards the van. And, and as I gently encouraged one of my children to find their shoes and get them on, I hear from the living room this blood-curdling scream of my other son. Right, you know the sound of a toddler when the world has come to an end. And I'm thinking to myself, please God, please don't let there be blood. The last thing we need is, is a new, another change of clothes and an ice pack. We just don't have time for this today. And so I run into the living room, and my, my, my boy Weston is standing there screaming his head off like, like he was seriously hurt. And I get down on the ground, and I'm, Weston, Weston, what's wrong, buddy? What's wrong? And, and you know how toddlers sound when they're crying. And I, he speaks to me. <laughs> My, my, oh no, my monkey blanket. Whew. What was actually more interesting was that when my daughter um, realized why he was why he was crying, you know, the menacing missing blanket. Right? Anyone who has kids or knows kids or knows someone who has kids or been around kids for long enough knows the drama and trauma of the menacing missing blanket. My daughter, um, when she realized why my boy was crying, she too realized that she was missing her blanket. And she too began crying, even though, even though, even though she was standing there like this. It was in her hand, and she's screaming because she's lost her blanket. <sighs> End of the world stuff, folks. End of the world stuff. We all know that the trauma of a toddler can upset the entire household. 
she started screaming, even though she didn't even have her, she had her blanket in her hand the whole time. You know, security objects and security blankets, security objects take on different forms. You know, my mom made these blankets for all my kids. So this is Weston's monkey blanket, Melody's striped blanket. Here's Jacob's old animal blanket. And, but not all kids had blankets. You know, some, for some kids, it's, you know, it's a stuffed animal. This is my old dog. Uh, my mom bought me. This, is, this one's mine. Um, <laughs> but maybe it's a stuffed animal. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's a baby, and don't judge me, it's dirty. I have kids. Um, or, or maybe it's just a plush toy. It's a little, I think it's a bear. I don't know. Security objects take on all kinds of forms with kids, and they're really important for kids. They are. It, it's actually, they're actually a part of the psychological development for a child. You see, because when a child is born, they can't differentiate themselves from their parent. They can't differentiate. They think that they're one. But as they grow, they realize that, hey, they're not the same as mom and not the same as their caregiver. They're an independent being. And there's even a time, actually, for kids where um, if they don't see it, it doesn't exist, right? This is, this is that peekaboo. Why peekaboo is so fun? Because when the child, when you go like this, you no longer exist to that baby. Boom, magically you reappear. And it's really fun for like two weeks until they move on to the next stage. Security blankets and security objects are in fact better referred to as transitional objects. And what happens is they remind the child of his or her caregiver. This is the way it works. So the child holds the object. And the parent, the mother, the father, the grandfather, the grandmother, the aunt, the, the, the caregiver, whoever that caregiver is, holds that child who's holding the object. And what happens to the child is this becomes that soothing presence of the parent. So when fear and anxiety hit them, which it does because as they grow and realize that they are a unique individual and not their parent, they seek comfort in the object, which is in fact a representation to them of their parent. Now there is all kinds of controversy around child development theory uh, about um, you know, when to get rid of these objects. And I'm not going to talk about that today because I just don't have the time. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff you can read about when you should take away the blanket and the, and the pacifier, or if you should. Not important today, though, for our conversation. Interestingly enough, though, interestingly enough, there is a growing number of adults that still sleep with security objects. In a recent study, it said that 16% of millennials still sleep with a security object. Now, this is not a great number, but it's over double, it's double what the Gen Xers were reporting. So 16%, that's 16 out of 100, that's 8 out of 50, that's 4 out of 25. Millennials still sleep with a security object. And it, it may seem strange, it may sound strange this morning, but our scripture and our passage today in a way, deals with this idea of security objects, of transitional objects. In our reading, we're going to be introduced to a man named Bartimaeus. Um, and Bartimaeus had a miraculous encounter with Jesus. And his story is short. It's only seven verses in Mark's gospel account. But within this story, we find some important truths about what lies at the heart of a miracle. From the individual perspective to, to, the, to the corporate, to the divine. So we're going to dive right into the story this morning. 
For Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, we find the story. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. To begin to understand the story, we must understand two things. First, what's going on with Jesus? And second, what's going on with Bartimaeus? Jesus had just come through Jericho, which takes on a whole new meaning, meaning when we realize this encounter in relationship to his entire life and ministry. Because when Jesus leaves Jericho, he goes to Jerusalem, which is about 15 miles away. Some folks that I was reading about who just made that on-foot journey said it can take anywhere from six to eight hours to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem, and it depends on how hot it is, really. Jesus is going from Jericho to Jerusalem. When he gets there, he rides into town on a donkey. This story is the last thing that Jesus does before the triumphal entry, before Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, not like five days before the cross. You see, this journey that Jesus is taking at this time is the last major move and walk to Jerusalem leading up to the cross and the resurrection. That's where the story is in Jesus' life. So let's look at Bartimaeus for just a moment. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. The name, it says, of Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus, which means son of honor. I am especially familiar with this word because its English manifestation comes to us as Timothy. Son of Timaeus, son of honor. Recognize here, though, that Bartimaeus is anything but a son of honor. He is a blind beggar. The fact that he was sitting on the side of the road shouting at people means that, the, that his livelihood, his livelihood, rested solely on the charity of others. There was nothing, nothing honorable in this culture with being a beggar. Still, he yells to Jesus, and the people... The people respond to Jesus. Not Jesus first. The people respond to, respond to this man. And this is how they respond. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on. He is calling you. He is calling you. Here we find our first profound truth this morning. God cares, even if nobody else does. Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, the social outcast, completely dependent on the charity of others, hears that Jesus is walking by, and he yells, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You would think, I would think, that the crowd following Jesus would be an encouragement to him, to Bartimaeus. Maybe help him get to see Jesus. No, they tell him to be quiet. Be quiet. So he yells even louder. 
the crowd, they, they may have been willing to throw some coins on the ground in front of this blind beggar, but actually help him to get to Jesus? No. No. But Jesus stops. Right? Jesus stops. He stops and he says to the crowd, he redirects the crowd back to this beggar on the side of the road and he says, says tell him, tell Bartimaeus, tell the son of honor, tell him to come and see me. It's only after Jesus redirects the crowd to the blind beggar sitting on the side of the road, crying out for mercy that they speak well to Bartimaeus. And they say, cheer up, he's calling you. God cares, even if people do not. Sometimes people get caught up in the spirit of community and miss the ministry opportunity that's sitting right beside them. The crowd missed it. They missed it. Thankfully, Jesus redirected them back. The same thing happens. The same thing happens in our culture today. Sometimes we get so caught up in doing the church thing that we miss the ministry opportunity that is right beside us. In Mike Jankowski's book, Under the Overpass, Mike chronicles his five-month journey with his friend Sam, living as homeless men, Without money, showers, and hygiene, they lived off what they could find, panhandling and begging. They spent most of their nights living on the streets when they couldn't find a bed at the local homeless shelter. His goal, to test his faith and to test the faith of others. So in his book, he, he recounts the story of Sam and him in Phoenix. And they're, they're in Phoenix, which is, we know is really hot, at this time of year. It's in the summer, and they decide they're going to spend the night on this large church campus. And so they, they spend the night on this campus, and they wake up in the morning to the sound of cars unloading with, with um, tables and those big stainless steel um, buffet things. And so they, they decide they're going to stay for a minute, and they're going to do their morning devotions. You see, they talk about how every morning they woke up, and they would open their Bibles, and they would read, and they would open their journals, and they would write about their experience. And as they were doing their devotions on this church campus lawn, two men come up to them, one of them wearing a white polo shirt, and they tell them, you can't be here. You can't be here. You can't sit outside the sanctuary like this. You need to leave. And the two men walked away. And Mike and Sam, they, uh, they said they were going to just wait it out for a little bit. They wanted to see what would happen. And not five minutes later, the two men came back. This time, Mr. White Polo Shirt was a little bit more upset. In fact, he was very upset. And he said, you can't be here. You can't be on the church grounds. This is not what church grounds are for. And so Mike said, well, what are church grounds for then? That didn't help. <laughs> that didn't help at all. So um, the, the guy in the white polo shirt started screaming at them. Started screaming at them. He said, this is nonsense. We could stand here all day debating what church grounds are for. The fact is, is that they are not for this and you have to leave now. So Mike and Sam left and they went down to the taco stand where they could get a 40-some cent burrito for breakfast. The next day was Sunday, and they decided they were going to go to church because they always try to go to church on Sunday. 
And can you guess what church they chose? They described going into this church. It was wonderful. They, they said they were welcomed by the usher who hesitantly smiled and shook their hand. Remember, they've been sleeping on the streets in Phoenix. They described the worship service as packed, except for the two rows in front of them and the two rows behind them. And as they got up to leave the worship service, they heard someone calling them, guys, guys, wait. And they turned and looked, and it was none other than Mr. White Polo Shirt, whose name was Terry. And Terry came up, and he gave them a big hug. They didn't know what to expect, but he came up and, like, grabbed them and hugged them and said, I'm sorry for what I did yesterday. Will you forgive me? And this is what Mike said. That's okay, man, I said. I put my hand on his shoulder. Honestly, it's okay. We forgive you. See, we've been traveling for a while, met some church folk, and we're almost used to it by now. But that's just it, said Terry. You shouldn't be used to it. Christians should never make you accustomed to rejection. If there's anywhere you should be accepted and loved, it should be at a church. We all began to relax. Terry explained how he had been convicted the previous day as soon as we left. He had actually jumped in his car and gone looking for us, hoping he could bring us back to join in the breakfast. And then he shared the most surprising fact of all. He said, I'm the director of a homeless outreach program in the area. I should have known better. Sometimes we get so caught up in church work that we forget to be the church. God cares. The Redeemer community, we care, even if no one else does. So upon hearing that Jesus was calling, Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Rhetorical question. How many coats do you own? Coats. How many coats do you own? I counted in our closet 53 coats. That's more than 10 coats per person in our household. 53 coats. That's a lot of coats. In a culture where everyone has multiple coats, you know, you got your winter coat, your rain coat, you got your dress coat, you got your lawn coat, right? And then you got kids' coats and snow pants and snow coats. And in a culture where everyone has multiple coats, we miss the importance of this verse. We do, because it doesn't really relate to us the same. Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. He only had one coat, one coat, and that coat would have meant everything to him. It was his security blanket. It protected him from the elements, so when the wind was blowing, it would, it would protect him. When it was cold outside, he would, have, he would have wrapped himself around it for warmth. When it was raining, it would have gave him shelter. And most importantly, begging on the streets, he would have put his coat down on the ground, and he would have gotten down behind it, so that when people gave money, it would fall on his coat and he could find it with his hands or at the end of the day, he could wrap it up and make sure he didn't miss anything and take it with him when he left. His coat was his security blanket. It was the object that gave him comfort. When all else failed, it was his coat that gave him shelter it gave him strength. It gave him security. And hearing, hearing that Jesus was calling him, 
He does something completely unexpected and something completely amazing. He threw it aside. He didn't set it aside. He threw it aside. Jumped up and goes to Jesus. He chose to hope in Christ instead of trusting in his security blanket. Don't miss this. He chose to trust in Jesus, not even knowing if he was going to be healed or not. He chose to trust in Jesus instead of put his faith in his security of his past. That's a big deal, folks. What is your security blanket? What is your safety net? I mean, it may not be a fuzzy blanket or a plush toy, but I'm venturing to guess that every single one of us here has some sort of safety net, some sort of security blanket. Could be your job, could be money, could be your house or your car, it could be your family, or could be your friends, could be your spouse. What is it that you put your trust in, that you find strength and comfort in when fear and anxiety kick in your life? How about this? Where do you find your rest when you deal with divine separation anxiety? What do you wrap yourself with? Our second truth is that letting go takes faith. Letting go of that safety net like Bartimaeus did takes faith. It's hard. It is hard. I'll say it again. It is hard. Say it with me. It is hard to let go. It is painful to let go. I know and talk to so many people, so many people who would rather remain in their current circumstances and not step out in faith because they have grown comfortable with their current reality. They've chosen to accept it. They've become comfortable with the situation. They say things like, better the devil you know, right? Leaving our comfort zone often leads to anxiety and fear, disequilibrium, and the reality of the unknown because when Jesus calls us, it takes a leap of faith, a leap of faith into the unknown because we don't know what we're going to find. Bartimaeus didn't know if he was going to be healed. He didn't have the end of the story yet, but he was willing to throw aside his security blanket and trust that God was going to do something amazing because of his faith. So Bartimaeus finally gets to Jesus, and he finally gets to talk to Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, my rabboni, my teacher, I want to see. I want to see. But through this entire passage, Bartimaeus had been referred to in one way. He was a blind beggar. Jesus had been to Jericho multiple times already and could have encountered him before, but Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. Everyone in the community knew he was a blind beggar. Question for you. Pretend you're Jesus. For some of you, that might be hard, but just work with me here. Pretend you're Jesus in this moment, and you're, you're standing on this road, and a blind beggar screams at you, stands up, and walks towards you. Do you know he's blind? 
Can you tell? Why did Jesus ask, what is it you want me to do for you? Why ask the question? Isn't it obvious that he wants to see? Jesus didn't ask the paralyzed man in Mark 2 who came down through the roof of the house, what do you want me to do for you? He didn't ask the guy in the temple with the withered hand in Mark 3, what do you want me to do for you? Why does he ask the question? And the truth is this. God does not assume. God does not assume. Jesus didn't assume that he wanted to see. Jesus didn't assume that he wanted to be healed. Bartimaeus had to ask Jesus. He had to tell him what he truly wanted. My teacher, I want to see. What is it that you really want? And this may sound silly, but if you could ask Jesus for one thing, what is it that you would truly ask? Could you articulate that request? Because if you can't, I would encourage you to try. I would encourage you to try. If you're ready to ask for a miracle, be ready to articulate your request. Here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. God knows our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Right? Everyone say yes. God knows us. But he doesn't assume our priorities. He knows our hearts, but he doesn't assume our request. Bartimaeus had to articulate it for himself. The heart of a miracle, the very core of a miracle rests in our honest request and God's transformative work. Our honest request and God's transformative work. Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Jesus' last healing in Mark's gospel, his final earthly miracle before the miracle of the resurrection, Jesus healed Bartimaeus and restored his sight. Bartimaeus responds by following Jesus as he travels on to Jerusalem. And I, I wonder, I truly wonder, six hours later from being healed, if Bartimaeus had a mini panic attack as he was standing with the crowd, as the crowd started taking their coats off and putting them in front of this colt that Jesus rolled down, if he had a mini panic attack and realized that I don't have a coat anymore. I don't know. Upon receiving his sight, I wonder, if, I wonder if he saw Jesus flipping over the tables. I wonder if he saw Jesus nailed to the cross five days later. I wonder if he was one of the crowd that saw Jesus resurrected. One of the hundreds. We don't know. His story isn't, this is the end of his story that we have recorded. All we know is that after he was healed, he followed Jesus toward new life and resurrection, which leads us to our fourth and final truth, and that is that healing leads to new life. Healing leads to new life. Each of us here are like Bartimaeus. We are. Some are sitting on the side of the road, stuck in an intolerable situation. 
Others are crying out to Jesus as he walks by. Some are ready to throw aside their security blankets in hopes for something better. Some are in the midst of a healing, and some have already been healed. And they know, they know what it truly means to be healed and to have new life. And some are walking down the road with Jesus, following in his footsteps toward this new life. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter where you find yourself, each of us must strive to have the faith, a faith like Bartimaeus. Like Bartimaeus, we must choose to follow Jesus down the road to Jerusalem, following him to Jerusalem, knowing, knowing full well that this road that we choose to travel down leads to the cross, knowing full well that it leads to Jesus' death, Knowing full well, though, that it leads to new life and resurrection. It is this new life that we're called to share with the world. You know, our, our mission is simple. Our goal is simple. We want to connect people with the life and love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. And we know that when we share our story of faith, people come to experience Christ in life, in a life-transforming way. Like Bartimaeus, when we come into the presence of God, we do not leave the same. Our mission is to, is to reach all people because God cares. God cares even if people do not. And stepping out of faith is hard. Stepping out in faith is hard. Letting go, letting go takes great faith. But when we reach for a new potential, a potential that we may never have been able to reach before if it were not for taking a risk in the first place. We must remember to be clear about our greatest need, to clearly articulate the heart of our request. Because God loves us so much. Let me tell you how much he loves you. He loves you so much to meet you right now, right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you there. Healing leads to new life. So I wonder, are you ready to let go of your safety blanket? Are you ready to trust that God will see you through? And are you ready to answer Jesus' question? What is it that you want him to do for you? Let's pray. God of all grace and love, like Bartimaeus, we want to see, we want to see you work in our lives to move in magnificent ways. Most holy God, we so desire to let go of all that holds us back from you. Give us the courage to cast aside our safety blankets for the hope and life that is found only in you. It is through your Son, Jesus, the Christ, that we pray. And all who agreed said, Amen.